We were in our series of an upside down kingdom. Was it that far away that you didn't remember? An upside down kingdom? Our study in the Sermon on the Mount. And in studying these three chapters, we've come to see and to be challenged by the reality that these words of Jesus, you know, we need to start paying more attention to the red letters in God's word. These words of Jesus are so crucial. If we are to be true kingdom citizens, this is the constitution and the bylaws by which we are to govern our lives. So, are we a citizen of the kingdom of God today? Oh, we, 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 we want to be sure of that, right? Because only as citizens of the kingdom of God do we know we have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if I drop dead right now, I know where I'm going because I was translated out of the kingdom of darkness and I was brought into the kingdom of God's dear son and I have hope of eternal life. But that requires of us that we live a different kind of a way. We live in a way that the world sees as upside down. And as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, we are seeing that the teaching of Jesus is illogical, irrational, and upside down as far as the world is concerned. But as far as God is concerned and the kingdom is concerned, it's an upside right kind of living. And that's the living to which we are called. So as I was looking on the calendar and realizing I don't have a whole lot more opportunities to preach, so I really wanted to get back into this kingdom, upside down kingdom series, and I'm anxious to get into chapter six. Now, if you were following me closely, you know that we were in chapter five and we almost finished it. So I wanna ask you if you'll forgive me if I didn't deal with the last section. But I do want to read those last verses because we dealt with the importance of what Jesus was saying as he was speaking to his audience, the audience that believed that the scribes and the Pharisees were the model of what true religious godliness was all about. And then Jesus turns around and he says, accept your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's a bold statement. It's a challenging statement. It's a sobering statement because what the world sees as really good living, Jesus comes along and says, now that you belong to my kingdom, the standard got hired. That higher standard, as we read in this last chapter of uh, the last verses of Matthew chapter 5, is be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And so Jesus dealt with anger and then raised the standard, dealt with lust, he raised the standard, he talked about divorce, raised the standard, talked about swearing and taking oaths, raised the standard, talked about retaliation, and then raised the standard. But we didn't have an opportunity to look at the sixth issue, which deals with loving our enemies. And truly, he raises 
the standard. And I want us to read these verses and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. Because in this life, we all have enemies. We all run across people who don't like us, who mistreat us, who persecute us, who say all manner of evil against us. And we feel very justified in not liking them. We feel very justified in gossiping about them. Did you know what so-and-so said to me? Did you know how they treated me? Now, they call themselves a Christian, and they treated me like that. And we want everybody else to give us sympathy. But if that person you were talking to was really a spiritually mature Christian, they would turn around and say, do you know what God requires of you as a Christian? When people treat you bad, let's, let's read together. And I'm reading from the Passion Translation. Follow along with me. Your ancestors has, have also been taught, love your neighbors and hate the one who hates you. Isn't that the logical way of thinking? However, I say to you, love your enemy. Bless the one who curses you. Do something wonderful for the one who hates you. And respond to the very ones who persecute you by praying for them. You know, sometimes we justify ourselves and say, well, I, I don't hate them. I just don't want to have anything to do with them. Well, does Jesus say don't have anything to do with them? Jesus says, you better love them. You better bless them. Find something wonderful to do to those who hate you. Respond to those who persecute you, not with bitterness of heart, but by praying for them and blessing them. I've got to tell you, and I'm preaching to myself this morning, because as a pastor, you got to know something. We are a target. Not everybody loves us. <laughs> there are people who walked out of this church and thought I was a heretic, thought I was preaching a false gospel. And when I think about how they treated me, sometimes there's a hurt that wells up within me because I'm human. But I have to realize, <laughs> while I'm human, there is a higher law living in my spirit, and that is the law of the love of God that says we need to be like Jesus. While he hung on that cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Bless them. Open their eyes. Do you, do you need to understand something? You know, Jesus is so kind to teach us this because if we will be obedient to the word of God, do you know what? We're going to bless ourselves. We're going to open the door for God's blessing to pour into us. That sickness or whatever it is, that, that harassment from the enemy, sometimes that's the result of us opening the door to bitterness, to hatred, to animosity, to unforgiveness, when if God is speaking to us, we would just say, Lord, I want to be obedient to you. I want to die your death. Say no to my flesh. Say no to what I think, what I feel, what I want. Do it the way of the cross. And then God says, I'll open the windows of heaven and bless you in special ways. So what does Jesus say here? For when you do that, it will reveal your identity as children of your heavenly father. How does our Heavenly Father treat? He is kind to all by bringing the sunrise to warm 
and rainfall to refresh whether a person does what is good or evil. What reward do you deserve if you love only the lovable? That's so easy to do. I could put my arms around all of you and it's easy to hug you today because I love you. But let that person walk into this church who put a knife in my back. It won't be as easy, but that's what God demands of us because we belong to his kingdom to love those who have mistreated us and who even hate us. They may still hate us. They may, may still think and say the worst things about us. But God says love them anyway because you need to be like your heavenly father. Don't even the tax collectors love those who love them? And the tax collectors were hated. They were thought to be the most evil people in the world, but yet they loved those who loved them. How are you any different from others if you limit your kindness only to your friends? Don't even the ungodly do that? Since you're children of a perfect Father in heaven, become like him. Oh, may God challenge our hearts today to make us more like Jesus. Yes, none of us have arrived. And as long as we are in this flesh, there will always be battles to be fought. But every day of our lives, we need to be striving and pressing in to God and opening up our heart for greater capacity for him to come in, more of his love. That's why Peter says, let love increase and abound yet more and more. I don't have all of the love of God in my heart that I need, but I pray, God, let your love come in and increase and abound yet more and more. And we will live blessed and wonderful lives. Well, that's not the sermon that I really want to preach this morning, but I'm just that kind of person. I, I just felt like it, I, 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 it was just unjust of me to leave chapter 5 without getting in those last verses because they are so important. You know, so, so many verses in... in in the uh, Sermon on the Mount are, are verses we memorized and they are these pious platitudes, but they really don't challenge us. Oh, they don't challenge us. They don't convict us. We could read those verses and think that Jesus is talking to somebody else. Let's look in the mirror of God's word today. Let's look in the mirror and say, God, if this is me, convict me. If this is me, change me. If this is me, pour your love in that I might reflect my Father who is in heaven. Reflecting Daddy. I, I want my children to, to be an honor to me. Don't you want your children to be an honor to you? How much more our Heavenly Father desires that we be an honor to Him. Well, I'm really eager to get to uh, chapter 6. Because chapter 6 in the beginning deals with perhaps a subject that is dearest to my heart. And maybe you already know it. That is the subject of prayer. Prayer is dear to my heart because prayer is so vital to us as Christians. It's, it's the air that we breathe. Martin Luther said to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. And, and if you are a person who is not a praying disciple. If you wait to Sunday morning to hear the pastor or someone else pray, 
then I wonder if you're really breathing the life and the breath of God. Because communion with God is our lifeline. It is not only the air that we personally believe, but also as a church corporately, without prayer being at the very center of who High Street Worship Center is all about, we will never accomplish what God has called us to do. In fact, all we will do is play church. But we're not here to play church, are we? We're here to see the kingdom of God come with power and his will to be done in this earth even as it is in heaven. You know, we've, we've talked a lot about praying through this transition and seeing how God has been moving and working. And I want you to know this morning, with all my heart, I am so grateful for Pastor Terry Davis. He is a man who shares my heart and my vision. And this, this past Monday night, as the uh, leadership team met together, he just poured his heart out, talking about the primacy and the priority and the preeminence of prayer in the life of the church, starting with the leadership team and then permeating into the entire church. If we are not like the New Testament church, then we will never experience what the New Testament church experienced. What did they experience? Thousands of souls saved, miracles, signs, and wonders. Why? Because they had the best marketing program, because they had the best PA system, because they had the best leaders who were talented and intelligent and skilled and gifted. No, no, no. Because it was a church who prayed who diligently sought the face of God. And as a result of earnestly praying, the Holy Spirit was upon them. And I know that Pastor Terry, while he is a gifted man, while God has anointed him to, to bless churches and to structure churches so that they could grow and to establish leadership in churches, he knows at the very the very center part of his life, that it is not by might, it is not by power, it is by my spirit, says the Lord. And it happens all by prayer. Yeah, you, you need to clap and thank God for that leader who is bringing this church into its next season. <laughs> Having church is not about a worship team just singing a few songs taking up an offering, making a few announcements, and then the pastor preaching a sermon so that we could walk out of those doors and say, I went to church today. I did my duty today. You know, Christian life is so filled with our concept of duty. We came to church today to worship King Jesus. We came to church today to have a divine encounter with heaven. We came to church today to experience the reality of who this living God is and who his son, Jesus Christ, is being made known to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We came to church today to experience the manifest presence of God that is here today to change us and to transform us. And if you're just sitting in a pew waiting for 12 o'clock to come so that I could pronounce a benediction, then you're not here really with your heart and your spirit. You're here 
just going through a ritual. And I, I'm not sure God is honoring that. See, preparing for church is like preparing an invitation for God to come and to dwell in our midst and to be seated upon the praises of his people. You know, sometimes we don't feel like praise, praising, but praise is a sacrifice. A sacrifice means it costs you something. A sacrifice means uh, it's just not easy. You know, you've got to dig a little deeper. You've, you've got to press a little harder. It takes a little more energy. And there are times when we're tired or we're depressed or our mind is a million miles away. We say, I'm going to get focused here. Jeez, I'm here for Jesus. He's worthy of my praise and I'm going to lift my heart and worship him and praise him and adore him and magnify him. I'm not going to be shy about lifting my hands. The scripture says, raise your hands to the Lord. Clap your hands. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, I lived too many years of my life wearing what other people are going to think about me. Yeah, I'll make a confession. I've always been so people conscious. As I've grown in the Lord, I, I, I've come to realize that I need to get more God conscious, especially when I come to church. When I come to church, I come for an audience of one. I've come to set and galvanize my gaze on Jesus and to worship him in spirit and in truth. And to experience what we're talking about experiencing only comes through prayer and through praise. And I want you to know this morning that as we're moving through this transition in this church, that the engine of the ministry of this church is prayer. And if that engine is not moving, if that prayer engine is not working, if that prayer engine is not filled with fire and fuel, this church is going nowhere. But I know Pastor Terry has a passion to see this church moving forward. And Kathy and I certainly have a passion after we've poured 13 years into this church because we've cried and we've pled and we've prayed, God, move by the power of your spirit. Send a revival to this church. Make this church a house of prayer. Saints of God, we need to take up that challenge in a new and in a fresh way and pray like we've never prayed before. Corporate prayer, yes, is so essential. And that's why we encourage you to join us on Wednesday nights for our Fresh Encounter meetings. But unless that is based in personal prayer, then our corporate prayer meetings aren't going to be what they need to be. You see, when there's a corporate prayer meeting, that's supposed to be a bonfire because each of us brings the fire within our own spirit. We have fire because we've been before our own prayer furnace. Uh, we, we've, we've not let the uh, fire on the altar to go out every day, 24 hours a day. We're in fellowship and communion with God. We're talking to him. We've set aside time to pray and seek the face of God. There's always a fire on the altar of our hearts. And then when we gather corporately, we bring and we add that fire to the everyone else's fire. And then there's this glorious conflagration of the glory of God because the church of God is is a house of prayer. That's the calling of the church. And that's what God said his church 
is to be, not a meeting place, not a place to fellowship, even though it is all of those things. It's a place to rejoice and to hug and to bless and to pray for one another, but preeminently it is a house of prayer. And if we want to become those personal houses of prayer, then we need to follow the instruction of Jesus. And nobody preached a better sermon on how to become a house of prayer than Jesus did in Matthew chapter 6. And I, I want us to read this morning as our text, and don't get nervous. I don't think I'm going to preach longer than I usually do, but I, I usually do preach long, don't I? <laughs> and, and thank you. You, you have been, I pro probably should save this comment to March 5th, but you have been such a wonderful church the way you've embraced us in our ministry and have always so lovingly and patiently born with us when we preached longer, when we preached even on subjects that you didn't care to hear. You've just been just a wonderful, wonderful church, and we just appreciate that so much. So we're reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. You could follow on the screen. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. When we got saved or when anyone gets saved, usually the first instruction that is given to them, I'll say it, but you're probably guessing it. Now that you've accepted Jesus Christ in your heart, there are three vital things that you need to do. Number one, you need to pray. You need to commune with God. You need to talk to God. That is your lifeline to heaven. That's the air that you breathe. If you're not going to pray, you're not going to be able to breathe. You're not going to be able to live the Christian life. Secondly, read your Bible because that's how God talks to us. And thirdly, go to church because never, God never called us to be an island. He called us to come together in fellowship that we might encourage and provoke one another to love and to good works. But you know, for newer Christians and even for some older Christians, praying if they've never prayed, if they're not used to praying, praying could be something that is really, really very challenging and very even uncomfortable. But to establish a prayer life, I want us to understand something that a prayer life that is effective is a prayer life that has been established not out of a mandate that someone told me now that I'm a Christian, I need to pray. So I get on my knees and I say, oh Lord, help me to pray for five minutes. And we feel like we've prayed for an hour and we looked at our watch and we've only prayed for a minute. How is that possible? How am I ever going to grow in my prayer life? Well, growing in our prayer life happens as a result of desire. Because when you have a desire, you want to do something. It's no longer a mandatory thing. It's no longer obligatory. It's something that you desire to do. 
Now, when you love someone, are you obligated to be with them? When you were dating or courting your spouse, did someone have to push? Did your mom and dad say, okay, Dino, get out of the house and, and go see Amy? You just, you just can't wait. Can't wait for the work day to get over. I'm going to go see my babe. I'm going to have an opportunity to be with the one I love. Yet as Christians, we have this thing about prayer as if it's some, this awful obligation is placed on, if I want to be a victorious Christian, I need to pray. It's true. But your prayer is going to become so much more effective and blessed and glorious and joyous, and it's not going to be painful. But what God's Word says, He will give us joy in the house of prayer. You will look forward to those times when you meet with God because he is there. See, we see prayer as a discipline, and it is a discipline, and I'm going to talk about that more in a moment. But we see it as a discipline, a means to achieve. I've got to pray for 15 minutes today because that's really vital to my spiritual walk. And if I want to be victorious, I need to pray at least that long. Instead, why don't we turn it not into a performance achievement, but rather an objective. I'm coming to my daddy. I'm coming to the lover of my soul. I'm coming to my heavenly bridegroom who is inviting me to his banqueting table and his banner over me is love. This is going to be a love fest. This is going to be a place where I relish to be in, a place where when I am so full with the ecstasy of experiencing the love of God that I don't want that 15 minutes to end because it's so wonderful being in his presence. Let our prayer time being about the objective of pursuing God and knowing God. See, when we get saved, we know that we have a heavenly father. We know that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, and that he loves the whole world. But what else do we know about him? Oh, we know he created the universe. But do you know that God wants to reveal to you the secrets of his heart? God wants you to know how well he knows you. When the revelation of that dawns on us, it will revolutionize and change our lives. That we have such an intimate fellowship with the God of the universe. He knows us personally. You know, I, I just heard this. I guess it was a preacher I was listening to say this this week, that, that God flung the universe in the space, billions and trillions of stars, and he named each and every one of them. Now, if he cared about them, naming them, how much more does he care about you and me? If he sees the tiny sparrow fall, how great is his concern and his compassion and his love for you and me? And yet we go through life so defeated. God, do you really care? Do you really know what I'm going through? Oh, you better believe he knows what you're going through. Jesus our great high priest is sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf today. He knows what you are going through because he went through it before you. He suffered 
every infirmity, every pain, every sorrow that you and I could ever experience. And he knows all about it. I love this statement by A.W. Tozier. God can be known in increasing degrees of intimate acquaintance. You know, you ever get to meet somebody and say, ah, I really like that person. I mean, we just, there's a connection here. And we're so eager to have the next opportunity to be with them again because we just want to get to know them better. We want to share life together. We want to share life experiences together. Obviously, they're Christians because that's the only kind of person you can really have a deep personal relationship with because you're of the same spirit. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Maybe the Spirit of God is telling me to tell someone that you have an intimate relationship with someone who is not belonging to the family of God. And that's not a relationship that God wants you to have. Because two cannot walk together except they be agreed. But back to my point, when, when, when you, when you, there, there's just something that wells up in your spirit Jeff, I'm so excited to see you again, brother, because God just connected us, and I just want to get to know you better. I want to hear your heart. It, it just, it's a light. God created us to have that kind of experience. You know what that is if you have a bestie. It's always a joy. It's always a delight. The relationship is always growing. It's always fulfilling. It's always a blessing. Well, if we can have that on earth, and we're blessed by it, how much more having that with the creator of the universe and his son, Jesus Christ, who bled and died on the cross of Calvary for my sin. How grateful do I need to be to him? How grateful do I need to be to him? And for every blessing that he says, that every promise is now yes and amen. It's what David said. See, prayer, prayer is blessed prayer, successful prayer, effective prayer, grows out of desire. It's what David said in Psalm 27. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. I want to ask you a question this morning. What is the one thing in your life that you desire? I think it's going to be pretty telling, the first thing that popped into your head. Well, I can't wait to get that new car. Can't wait to get that promotion. Can't wait to get that boyfriend. Can't wait to get that girlfriend. Can't wait to find my spouse. Can't wait to get that raise. Can't wait to experience this. Can't wait to go on that vacation. And our mind is filled with that one thing. I don't know if we'll ever get to it, but Jesus said, if you have one thing in your mind, let it be the kingdom of God. And if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all of these other things will be added unto you. Whatever the desire that is. That's the New Testament version of what David said. One thing have I desire of the Lord. That will I seek after. That's a probing question. What is that one thing? The burning desire of David's heart was to be found in the secret place in that intimate fellowship and relationship with God. And he says, that will I seek after. You see, when you have a desire, 
You seek after it. Nobody has to push you to that place of prayer. You desire, you seek. Your desire informs your action. You know, during this fast, my desire was for a piece of cheesecake and a cup of coffee. And my flesh wanted to move me to the refrigerator. But I'm thankful that there's a higher law of the Spirit of God that pushed me back into the prayer closet because that's what fasting is all about. It's not just dieting, it's seeking the face of God. And with this kind of hunger, we can grow in our prayer life. And perhaps this morning, if you feel like saying and admitting and confessing, Pastor, I just don't have that desire. Thank you for that confession. God is pleased with that confession. Do you know what to do with it? Turn it to Abba and say, God, as Pastor Paul is preaching this morning, I, I know I need a bigger desire. Please give it to me. He will give us the desires of our heart as we delight in him. And this morning as we're sitting in his presence and delighting in him and our heartstrings are being pulled in the direction of heaven today and we cry out and say, Father, grow my desire. Increase my desire. Increase the capacity of my heart to long for you with a deeper longing, a deeper passion, a greater yearning after you. And when we do, God will meet us. This morning, I want us to look at how Jesus taught us to pray, and I want to try to wrap this up quickly. Desire requires discipline. And some of you men know what that's all about because you want to have muscle. That's your desire. But it means you're going to get up early in the morning and get over to that gym and lift weights. And then the endorphins kick in and I feel great. And you start seeing, you know, this is, this is starting to get bigger. You look in the mirror and you just see the muscle. No longer that flabby tummy, right? How did it happen? Desire that brought discipline. And then the blessing. And so it is also with prayer. I love James Alladeran, the leader of Prayer Storm out of the, UK, the United Kingdom, says this, desire without discipline dissipates. You need to write that one down because that's so important. If you're going to have an effective prayer life, desire without discipline dissipates. So Jesus teaches us the disciplines of prayer and we read first of all in verse six. This is the who of prayer, but you when you pray. When you pray. Not if you pray, but when you pray. Not when the pastor prays, not when Linda prays, not when Denny prays, not when uh, Edwin prays. No, no, when I pray. Do we hear the voice of the Spirit of God this morning? I, I don't want you to hear my voice. I want you to hear the voice of the Spirit of God. Courtney, when you pray. Javier, when you pray. As kingdom Christians, 
essential to our lives as believers is not just going through religious rituals and formalities and coming to church every time the doors are open and carrying our Bibles and being a witness and paying our tithes. Yes, they all have a place. They're important. But there's something that is a higher priority. And that higher priority is when you pray because that is your connection with heaven. That is your lifeline to heaven. And if God's kingdom is going to advance, if it's meant to be, all of us need to take up the challenge, it's up to me. If it's meant to, if High Street Worship Center is going to move in the way that God wants it to move, it's up to me. When I pray, when I get before God and I say, God, I seek your face for a heaven-sent revival to High Street Worship Center. I said this before, an evangelist and Pastor Terry doesn't carry revival in a suitcase. Some of us have that mentality. I understand because we grew up in churches where every six months or so, we'd have a revival meeting, and we'd call in a revivalist. And during those two weeks, boy, did we have some hooping and hollering. Boy, was there some, some uh, kind of sparks flying here and there. Two weeks were over, that was the end of it. That's not a revival. That's just a little emotional stir. That's a little fling that a flash in the pan. God's wanting to do something deep, deep, and it takes the discipline of persistent prayer. I am called to a life of prayer. Do you believe as a Christian that God has called you to a life of prayer? I know there are so many Christians who say, oh, there's a group of people at High Street Worship Center. They're called the intercessors. They're the praying people. If I have a need, I go to them and they take up my need and pray for it. Where is that in the Bible? But you, Jesus, said that, not me. But you, disciple, when you pray, I am called to a life of prayer. Praying isn't a specific gift that is only given to a certain group of people. Prayer is the life breath of every disciple of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I want to breathe well, and I want to breathe easy, and I want to breathe the atmosphere of heaven in my soul, and that only comes through prayer. You've experienced it, haven't you? After spending a season in prayer, you feel so much lighter, you feel so much brighter, you feel so much more unblessed, you feel you could uh, climb a wall and uh, leap over a wall and run through a troop. You, you've got victory in your soul because it's heaven came down and filled your life with the glory of God. It's all because of prayer. It's because of prayer. Establish this fact. If you're a kingdom disciple, you are a kingdom you are a person of prayer because your captain and leader of your salvation, he was a man of prayer. And if you find it uncomfortable to pray, I don't want you to feel ashamed, and I don't want you to feel guilty. I don't want you to feel any of those negative things because the devil loves doing that because the more he can do that, the more he keeps us away from prayer. 
if we feel uncomfortable, the reason probably is because we've neglected prayer. You know how it is when we neglect things? Oh, I haven't been on a bicycle in a long time. And you, you, you get on a bicycle again, and it's like there's a little bit of trepidation here. And I, I don't feel really comfortable here because you've not done it in a long time. But once you get into it, then it's like second nature again. And that's what prayer is like. The more we pray, the more comfortable we'll feel. And if you want to learn how to pray, the best way to learn how to pray is not to read books on prayer. And I, because I am passionate about prayer, my library is filled with books on prayer. And I cherish those books. But how I've learned to pray is going to prayer meetings and hearing other people pray. Not to mimic them, not to follow just have their nuance. Does a voice go up? Do they pray loud? Do they pray so? You know, God has given each of us a different personality. Some pray loudly. Some pray with a lot of intensity. Some pray quietly. Some pray passionately. However you pray, that's how you pray. But let it be the posture of your heart that is in love with Jesus, that is open to his spirit to do what he wants to do and to accomplish his purposes. I've got more to say, but we'll save it for another time. Let's just ask God this morning. God, fill me with your fullness. I want to grow in my prayer life. I want to become a house of prayer. I want to become a sanctuary where you can dwell, where the fire on the altar of my heart never burns out. Oh, Father, as we bow in your presence this morning, we seek your face. We hear the voice of your spirit calling us to a place of prayer, calling us to that secret place, calling us to seek your face. Increase the desire of our heart today that we would say with David, one thing, one thing have I desired of the Lord. And that will I seek after. That will I seek after. We seek you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand and sing a prayer. As we sing this prayer, if you feel the need to come to the altar,